It's the early 2000s in the beach town of Torrance, California. And there's a small Catholic school run by a very powerful figure. Sister Mary Margaret. (laughs) That is the big boss. She was the principal the entire time that I was at St. James. Sister Mary Margaret was a staple in the community. She had been at St. James since the 80s. And as principal, she was the face of this elementary school. Everyone had a very positive experience with her. Julia Garunskis was four when her parents enrolled her in the school, partly because of how much they loved Sister Mary Margaret. My parents have always had a really positive interaction with her, and most of the community saw her in a really positive light. In our church, too, everyone loved her. Our main monsignor, like the priest and everything, I had never heard from an adult anything negative about her. But the students at St. James had a very different opinion. She just is like that kind of lady where she looks really nice, but then as soon as you disagree with her, those cheeks get red and you're going to hear it and it's not going to be a good time. (laughs) Sister Mary Margaret was often taking away privileges and handing out punishments. The one she was known for was called Walk the Line. It's basically public humiliation is what it is. You get in trouble, walk in a square on the blacktop outside while everyone else plays and is at recess and stuff. And most offenses met the threshold for a walk-the-line level of punishment. You forget to tuck in your chair, you're walking the line. You forget to tuck in your shirt, you're walking the line. Stuff like that. Tuck in your shirt? Really? Tuck in your chair? Man, listen. If I was at that school, I would have definitely been a perpetual line walker because I did quite a few things worse than these petty offenses. Sister Mary Margaret had, like, no mercy. While she renounced personal worldly possessions, she certainly indulged in a bit of her own fun. She'd take these big trips with another nun who worked at the school. Julia remembers spending lunch looking through photo books of their travels, often in Europe. They would talk about their trips with us, and they would always say that they were able to go on that because of some, like, rich uncle. But it's a little funny, right? These nuns gave an oath of poverty, and then they were out on these lavish trips. Now, I know we're not supposed to judge, but to me and to Julia, something about it just didn't add up. We would never have ever assumed that that's where the money was coming from. But little did we know, they were taking our money. I'm Alzo Slade, and this is Cheat, the podcast where we ask, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, Sister Swindler, when a nun is gambling on fate. St. James is a pretty small school. There's less than 40 kids in each grade. And like a lot of small religious schools, it struggled with money. Something that I always knew at St. James growing up and something that my parents knew was that we were severely underfunded. We couldn't afford awnings, we couldn't afford tables, we couldn't afford new equipment when we accidentally popped, you know, a rubber ball. Our books were from the 80s. They hadn't been updated in decades. The school was constantly in fundraising mode. Sister Mary Margaret was always thinking up creative ways to raise money for the students and staff. There were a lot of fundraisers and raffles and things like that. Parents were expected to donate a lot. And my parents donated a lot. 
other parents have donated a lot because all the other parents knew also that we were underfunded and they wanted what's best for their kids. Every single penny counted. This was money that could go to new tables, to new textbooks, to field trips. And every year, Sister Mary Margaret insisted if they could just raise enough, then they'd be able to cover all the students' needs. So she'd fundraise and fundraise. She'd organize events and festivals, some that were maybe a little weird, like Sister Mary Margaret would host casino nights. Now, okay, Sister Mary Margaret, the casino maybe wouldn't be my first guess for some nuns, but they'd work. People would come, they'd spend money, and they'd donate. In the fall time, we also would have this event called the Harvest Festival, and they would ask the parents to volunteer. Julia's dad often volunteered. And he would tell me about how he would work at the ticket booth, and they would, you know, collect a lot of money for the tickets, and then he would just, like, give a wad of cash to Sister Mary Margaret. She'd put it in her fanny pack, and that was that. Another Sister Mary Margaret fundraising idea was to do raffles. Everyone would put their name in the hat, and there were some surprising winners. We had this big raffle every year called the Big Red Raffle, and Sister Lana won like three years in a row. Sister Lana was the eighth grade teacher at the school, and clearly a very lucky person to keep winning that raffle over and over for three years. Despite Sister Mary Margaret's best efforts, the school still just never had enough to fully update its facilities. Definitely the same problems lingered year after year after year, like the equipment issue, the awning issue. The awning one is the big one, because I remember my mom being really active in trying to make it happen for us, along with a lot of the other parents, and it just didn't. Nine years of fundraising, and students were still eating outside on benches in direct sunlight. But there was just never enough money, not even for the awnings. It was an odd thing, like how much money that school made, but also how little they did with it. Julia graduated eighth grade in 2014 and moved on from St. James to a Catholic high school. There, she had more time to reflect about her elementary school, and she felt pretty conflicted about it all. I started learning about other kids' experiences in elementary school and learned that it was much different than mine. We had really extreme like punishments for little things, and we had really, really specific dress codes that kind of disallowed us to, like, express ourselves. St. James sort of faded into the past, though. She had high school and then college ahead of her. She didn't keep up with the school after she left, and her elementary education became sort of a weird memory. Then, Julia got wind of a rumor that would recast St. James in a whole new light. Find out what that was after the break. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? 
Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. I first heard about it before it even broke news. Julia was on the phone with a friend and former classmate at St. James. They still get all the drama, and they still get to know everything that happens before everyone else knows. The big news? Sister Mary Margaret decided to retire from St. James. It was a pretty big deal. The community was sad. They loved Sister Mary Margaret. But they weren't shocked. The principal was about to turn 80 and had been at St. James for almost 30 years. The board had a hefty responsibility ahead of them. They had to somehow fill Sister Mary Margaret's shoes, and it wouldn't be an easy task. She handled operations, finances, curriculum, fundraising, and was essentially the face of the school. When they finally chose her successor, the board began to go through the head nun's responsibilities in order to prepare for the new principal. But something weird came up. In the process of kind of turning things over to the new leadership, it had come out that there were some questionable checks deposited to a questionable bank account that no one had known of before. And that was the first thing I heard from my friend. And he's like, oh, I don't know if it's true. Like, this is just what I heard. A questionable bank account no one knew about? Mm, 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 mm. Sounds like some hot church gossip to me. Turns out this wasn't just a rumor. Later, it comes out publicly that Sister Mary Margaret had been embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars from the school. You're a nun. Good Christian leader. What are you doing with all of that money? Trips to Sin City. Gambling and jet-setting. So the school found that Sister Mary Margaret was taking money from the elementary school to use for gambling in Sin City. Can you even imagine? Hey, hey, sister, I see you at the slots or maybe the crap table. But check this out. It wasn't just Vegas. We're also talking Lake Tahoe, plus lavish trips to Europe. You remember those photos that Sister Mary Margaret was showing the students? And what's crazy is she'd take her friends too. Turns out, there was no rich uncle. Surprise, she was funding their ladies' trips with money from the raffles and fundraisers. People were shocked, horrified, and at first, they couldn't believe it. No one really knew what was happening, and everyone, of course, was like, oh, a nun could never do that. Of course not. But people started talking, and they realized that some signs were there the whole time. It wasn't until after things came to light that people started saying, like, oh, yeah, well, I did notice this was kind of weird, or like this and that, this and that. But it was never anything that really stood out to, a, like, a concerning point, you know? Remember those casino nights? And what about the raffle that Sister Mary Margaret's pal won three years in a row? And hang on a moment. Every time that there was a festival and Julia's dad handed a wad of cash over to Sister Mary Margaret, well, now it seems like that money was going directly into her fanny pack and then to her bank account. 
At first, the church investigators estimated that she'd taken around a half a million dollars. Then, that number started to climb and climb. Over the course of 10 years, Sister Mary Margaret had embezzled nearly a million dollars from the school. Find out what happens next after the break. While the community in Torrance was reeling with the discovery that their hero nun had stole almost a million dollars from the school, they also had to address a pressing question. What do we do now? There was a town hall where everyone impacted got together to discuss this very question. That was like the moment where everyone was like, do we press charges, do we not press charges? Julia wasn't at this town hall meeting, but her mom was, so she still got the deets. Immediately, like pretty much 50-50. You know, some people saying that like, this is not okay. Like we need to press charges. This is something that we should not overlook. But then the other half of people saying like, no, like she's a great person. She, She probably didn't mean any harm with this. We should just forgive her and move on and not press charges. Right off the bat, there is that debate. How do we treat this situation? To Julia, it was obvious. Sister Mary Margaret had committed a crime and a pretty big one at that so the law would need to weigh in. I understand if you want to forgive her, that's okay, but that doesn't mean the law needs to forgive her. For someone who made students walk the line for years for offenses that never came close to something like this, wouldn't her actions warrant some sort of punishment? Julia saw that people were picking different pieces of the story to cling to to justify the nun's actions. People really focus on the addiction part of it and think that this gambling addiction is the only reason that she embezzled so much money. And that, I think, is a really naive way to look at it. Some folks were saying, if she has a serious gambling problem, can she be blamed for what she did? It's an addiction, sure, but not everyone felt like that was an excuse. It's not like somebody was forcing her to embezzle this money and then take it to Vegas and put it on the table. Nobody was forcing her to do that. And I recognize that gambling is a very serious and real addiction. However, they were also using this money for other things. And it's either way, whether it's an addiction or not, it's incredibly insulting that the money that could have been put towards an awning, towards tables, towards equipment, towards textbooks, was getting thrown away in Vegas or thrown towards really expensive Europe trips taken by women who took an oath of poverty. Because these were nuns, at first, all of this was being handled by the church. They followed their usual protocol. They did their own internal investigation, notified the sisters' order, and called the police. But they had no intention of pressing charges. They'd handle it themselves. They informed the St. James community that Sister Mary Margaret had apologized for what she had done. And for a while there, Julia heard nothing new about the case. Everyone thought that maybe that was that. But then I remember several months later, my mom got a letter in the mail from, I think, the U.S. Department of Justice, like reaching out to families that have been affected by this and saying, like, hey, like, if you have anything to add, send it our way. We're going to keep probing in this. This went a little farther than just the Torrance police. The Justice Department ended up conducting their own investigation. And they figured out how Sister Mary Margaret was able to pull this embezzlement scheme off. 
See, part of being a nun is that when you join an order, you give up your private income and the order supports the living expenses for their nuns. But in the late 90s, St. James created a bank account to pay the living expenses for Sister Mary Margaret and the other nuns employed by the school. Since Sister Mary Margaret was the principal and already responsible for the school's other bank accounts, she was a signatory on this convent's account too. Yeah, now you can see how this is going to go. Over the course of 10 years, Sister Mary Margaret funneled money intended for the school into this private convent bank account. Sister Mary Margaret would accept cash or checks and immediately route them to the other account. And on top of that, Sister here would fudge the finance reports she had to submit to the school's administration on a monthly and annual basis. So they'd have no idea she was redirecting any funds earmarked for the school. The Department of Justice charged Sister Mary Margaret with one count of wire fraud and one count of money laundering. She pleaded guilty to both. But the matter still wasn't really settled. Up until the day of sentencing, there was a debate, and I'm sure there still is, of whether she should be treated as a criminal or not, which blows my mind because I don't think that your title has anything to do with the crime that you commit, you know? And then the day of the sentencing arrived. It was February of 2022, and the sentencing was held on Zoom. At first, Julia wasn't even sure if she was going to go. But it worked out that day that I, as soon as I got home from class, I was able to log in, and they let me in on the Zoom. At that point, I was like, I got to hear what, what these people have to say, because I knew prior to then that the judge had publicly spoken about how he's going to treat Sister Mary Margaret differently because she's a nun. That made me upset. So after the lawyers do their thing at the end, the judge opened it up to the court and said, does anyone else have anything to add? A couple of parents spoke up and said, Just because Sister Mary Margaret is a nun doesn't mean she should be treated any differently in the eyes of the law. Julia agreed, and she was ready to just leave it at that. But then some other parents spoke after that and said the opposite. St. James had given their kids a wonderful education. Sister Mary Margaret shouldn't be punished harshly, that they should practice the forgiveness the church instructs. That whole time, it's only been parents who spoke up. Who are the people who are really getting affected by this? It's the students, right? Like, we're the ones who didn't get those new textbooks, who didn't get the new equipment, who didn't get all those things that we could have had. And we're also being lied to this whole time and also being told that these nuns deserve our respect and deserve to be authority figures to us. But now we're learning that they're lying to us. Julia was getting really frustrated. And even though she hadn't planned to, she decided to say something. I just turned my mic on and I started talking. Cause I'm like, hey, I'm a student. I have something to say. I don't think a student has spoken about anything yet. And we're the ones that were affected the most. And so it just kind of went from there. And it was that you broke my trust and that's not okay. And that you committed a crime. You should be treated as though you committed a crime. The judge sentenced Sister Mary Margaret to one year and a day. She was ordered to pay $835,000 in restitution. She was also ordered to seek treatment for her gambling addiction. At the sentencing, Sister Mary Margaret also spoke. She said, I have sinned. I have broken the law, and I have no excuses. But for Julia, it just felt like the punishment didn't fit the crime at all. 
It's just kind of like a huge slap in the face. At the end of the day, it's almost a matter of, you know, separating church and state in that way. <laughs> separating a crime from the fact that they are publicly a religious person. For a long time, I really thought you can only be a good person if you're a religious person. And obviously that's not the case <laughs> because I don't think good people embezzle money. To be clear, she wasn't calling for a draconian punishment. It was more the principle of it all. Should a nun be judged differently in this case? It's not so much that I really want to see this woman suffer. It's more so that, like, I just really don't think it's okay to forget about the law. Because for Julia, Sister Mary Margaret was the figurehead in her life for what it meant to be a Christian. I mean, she was a nun. I was taught to treat them with respect and utmost authority and everything, and they were above me in every way. And then to learn that they hid behind their religion to do that, to do these bad things like embezzle money, I don't like that at all. I don't either. But it does raise an interesting question. What's the relationship between justice and mercy? How do we make that choice as a society about punishment and forgiveness? Because here's someone who spent most of her life in the service of the church, but part of that commitment is one of sacrifice. Turns out, she wasn't really sacrificing. She was actually indulging. She was taking from the kids she was responsible for, all while teaching them how to be religious and moral people. Becoming a nun, you take an oath of poverty. But at some point, does that sacrifice become too much of a burden? That life is so rigid, even if you chose it. It allows for so little enjoyment that you see other people experiencing. You know, there's an Eastern philosophical proverb that says, you can't be a rigid reed because when the wind blows, you break. The rigidity of Sister Mary Margaret's type of life, it can lead you to break. And that's what she did. She broke. But is an action like that something that can be forgiven? And if it can be forgiven, should the law be the one to do it? Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. He's wearing extremely high-end shoes. He's got a watch that's probably a $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 watch. There was always this question about where his money really came from. And like, how did he get so wealthy? Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Julia Doyle. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Megan Dietrich. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. 
Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola.